This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Tonic, heard Saturday afternoons at 1 and Sunday mornings at 11 on Zoomer Radio. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. So the first gate of speech is to ask yourself, is it really the right time for me to say what I'm about to say? And this is so powerful because timing is everything. Timing is everything. Look at the way that this pans out in marriage or relationships. Welcome to the new and improved 60-minute version of The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. On today's show, we'll learn about the efficacy and safety of herbal remedies. Also, we'll hear how to sneak more vegetables into your food. And then we'll find out about mindfulness and being effective. Lastly, we'll talk about extreme trends in restaurant menus. But first, a little bit of business. Today's show is brought to you by Omega Alpha. Omega Alpha is 100% Canadian-owned and has been GMP-certified for manufacturing to pharmaceutical standards since its inception in 1992. It uses only all-natural herbs, vitamins, and minerals in their formulations. The company is site-licensed for manufacturing nutraceuticals by the Natural Health Products Directorate, a division of Health Canada. They have four company divisions, both a consumer line and professional line of human products, equine pet health products, and a custom manufacturing private label division. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit their website at omegaalphainc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings. Welcome back to the show, sir. Thank you for having me on again, Jamie. Always great to have you on. Always informative. As a health and wellness publisher, people often ask me if herbal remedies actually work, you know? You see, usually they're doctors, or usually they're, they know doctors who are skeptical. But and I, I'm not a scientist, and it's not in my background. And sometimes, I, candidly, I struggle with the answer. But it is your background, so I thought I would ask you that question. Let's start there. Do they work? Definitely. In all fairness, I mean, we at Omega Alpha, we do a lot of herbal remedies. But let me explain why I believe, I shouldn't say believe, why I know herbal remedies work. First of all, way back in the day, before the advent of the modern pharmaceutical industry, right, which, by the way, just dates back probably into the 40s, right? Yeah. Prior to that, everybody was using herbal remedies of one sort or the other, right? Yep. And so from the eons of, of experience we know should know herbal remedies work. But from a more scientific point of view, we know a lot of plants have what we call phytochemicals or chemicals, right? Yes. Which a lot of modern medicines got their start from, right? So the one I like to use as an example is white willow bark and aspirin. Everybody knows aspirin or otherwise known as acetylsalicylic acid, okay? 
we know that works really, really well. But we know way back in the day, people would take white willow bark. The native Indians would take white willow bark, yes. boil it, and consume the liquid. And they know it, it'll bring down fevers, it'll help with pain, etc. Right? Yeah. So the original the original pharmaceuticals were were mostly derived from plants and, yeah. and herbs and yeah. right. Yeah. The, the biggest thing about a lot of these herbal remedies or herbal products is dosage. You see, the, the problem is we can't standardize the dosage because we don't know how much how much each plant produces, how much, you know, because year to year, right. things change, right? Mm-hmm. But we also know people require different amounts. For example, if my wife has a headache, right, she could take one acetaminophen 250 milligram tablet and she's good. Yes. Me, if I have a headache, not to say my headaches are bigger, but I need to take at least two extra strength 500 milligram acetaminophen tablets before it works for me, right? And right. I do know that people will take the in-between amounts, right? So yes. everybody biochemistry is a little bit different. And you know, if you're if you're a bigger person, like I'm over 200 pounds, I'm going to metabolize what I'm ingesting in a much different way than somebody who weighs half my size. That's right. right. But what I what I try to tell people, your basic pharmacology doesn't change. I mean, if it works on me, it'll probably work on you, etc. But we also know that a lot of these pathways, there's there are many different pathways to help alleviate pain. Right. Right. And different herbs will work on different pathways to alleviate pain, right? For example, I use a hot, new and hot now is cannabinoids, right? Yes. THC. People are starting to use cannabis for pain relief, and yes. it got great relief, and that's working on the cannabinoid pathways. Then you can take the opiates, which is the opioid pathways, right? Then you have, if you were to take something like acetyl salicylic acid, white willow bark, that works on the, um, we're not really sure, but it, it works on the anti-inflammatory pathways, right? Yeah. So, so there are many different pathways biochemically where the drugs will act on different aspects. So one of the things I always say to people is that people are always worried about how toxic is the plant? How, how detrimental is it? Right. And I will say this, if it's been used for a long time, there is a certain folk wisdom in, some, in that some of these plants have been used for a long time. And in the area of where, where you're looking at the plants, it depends on how you extract the active ingredients and right. it depends on how you concentrate it up, etc. But for most people who will be using, who will be buying herbal products off the shelf, all of these products are very, very safe. And in Canada, the major reason it's very, very safe is whether I like it or not or whether the people like it or not, Health Canada will not let you sell something which even smells of toxicity or it will be toxic in larger doses. Right. Right. There, there was a paradigm change, right? Like yeah. when, when I first got into the into the health and wellness uh, field 11 years ago, it was a little bit more like the Wild West. Health Canada didn't regulate the herbal products. And then there was a change, correct? That's correct. Uh, and so because of that, um, everything is very, very safe. But me as a manufacturer, I'll be the first one to tell you, if I know a, a herb is potentially toxic, I won't touch it with a 10-foot pole because there's always that four or five people out there who will take it and die because of, of toxicity. Or, so I, I really don't need that type of headache, right? Because we don't make the same kind of money that a big farmer would do. So, for example, big farmer sells a product, they make tons of money on it. So right. what's, a, what's a civil lawsuit? Whereas for a company like us, 
one civil lawsuit wipes us out. Yeah, as a former civil litigator, I can tell you nobody wants litigation. So I understand that you're right. That is enough of an incentive yeah. for a responsible manufacturer. Well, sure. one of the things too, I, I will I'll tell everybody about is safety. I, I want to address safety because sure. everybody thinks of of herbs as drugs, and they think if you take a little bit more, you, you're going to keel over. That's so far from the truth. Because first of all, the active ingredient in any herb is is very is in very low concentration, right? And in order for you to get a pharmaceutical a, a pharmaceutically active dose, right, a pharmacologically active dose, you have to actually increase the concentration. Now, the nice thing about any type of herbs, like for example, white willow bark, I'll use that as an example. Right. There's a whole group of compounds called salicylins. It's not one compound. And because it's a whole group of compounds called salicylins, each one of them actually produce a health benefit for pain, but their side effects are not necessarily additive. Right? So because of that, you can double up, triple up right, the recommended dose, and still you won't need to rush to the, to the poison control centers to get your stomach pumped. Now, I will say that for a lot of herbs, that is the case, but we all know there are dangerous herbs which that doesn't apply. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was going to say, I, there, there must be some limits to yeah. the amount of herbs you can take, correct? Yeah. But, but as I said, you have to remember, it's what you can get commercially, Right, like for example, foxglove you can get commercially, but I will guarantee you, you will never be able to find a product made from foxglove which is known to be very poisonous. You you will not find it on being blessed by Health Canada for sale in Canada. Okay, right? and that's a source of digitalis, which we know in small amounts is very poisonous. So most of the herbs that you will run into are very very safe. Right. So what, just to clarify for our listeners, when you're talking about herbal remedies, you're not talking about going into the field and boiling leaves and water. You're talking about the products that are being manufactured and sold by companies such as yours, correct? That's, that is correct, because in all fairness, unless you are a herbalist or an expert, most people will not even know what a, which ones are, are poisonous and are not poisonous you know, if it got up and slapped them in the face. Right. Sure. Yep. So uh, knowledge is an important thing. It's the same thing with mushrooms, right? Mm-hmm. People go mushroom picking, right? But and some there are mushrooms that are very poisonous. So unless you know what you're doing, you try to stay away from that type of thing. Right? I leave it to the experts, sir. Yeah. I will never. I will never <laughs> forage for mushrooms. As much as I love them, they're delicious, but I do not wish to die. That's right. Now, one of the things about the safety aspects of it again is how you how you make your your herbal remedies. Now, right. I, I know a lot of people say uh, people think that herbs are not active, right, and not effective, right, and that a lot of old school medical doctors will think like that. But what what I say about these herbs is that you have to extract out the actives because if you extract out the actives, your body does an amazing job at absorbing the actives, but they do a terrible job at extracting it out at a high enough dose. The example, if I'm making coffee, right, if I brew the coffee and I give you a cup of coffee, within 10 minutes you can feel the effects of caffeine. Yes. If I gave you a teaspoon of coffee grounds or two teaspoons of coffee grounds and say, here, chew on this, right? You can go through your whole day without getting the caffeine hit. And the reason for that is because the body takes a sweet time to extract out the, the active from coffee grounds, right? So you, and it comes out in drips and drabs. So you never get a, a high enough dose into you to be pharmacologically active. So th- this is why most people 
do a liquid preparation on it. And the reason I mention it like that is because sometimes, you know, it's some herbal products, all they do is they take the herb, grind it into a powder, stick it, and stick it into a pill. Right. right. So depending on what the herb is, et cetera, et cetera, and depending on how much actives are in the herb, you may or may not get an effect, right? So so as a consumer, what do we do? How do we how do we ensure that we're getting the correct dosage? Well, okay. It's very difficult to say what the correct dosage is. The whole point about it is can you get an effect? Okay. Right? Okay, and so- usually the recommended dosage is high enough to give you an effect, right? Okay. Now but again, an effect depends on who you are, how heavy you are, etc. As I said, my wife weighs a lot less than me, right? Mm-hmm. So she she may not need to take higher doses than what's recommended. I, on the other hand, will probably double the dose just because I need to double the dose because I'm a bigger guy. Right. Let's say I was, I'm at the store and I want to get a particular herbal remedy. As a manufacturer, are you required, for example, to express what the minimum dosage is and to express what a maximum dosage we, is in the same have, way? We, we have dosage guidelines that we recommend, right? Right, okay. And, and then Health Canada blesses the dosage that you're going to give. And that number is not out of the air. That number is based on what's been published in the medical literature and so on. Now, what, what happens also is that we tend to do combination products. Right. And the reason we do combination products is because when you choose the different herbs, you choose them because you want them to be to give you a net beneficial effect. So if you're looking for something for pain, you can put two or three different products herbs together that we know help to alleviate pain, right? right? But they may work by different pathways. And if they do work by different pathways, you get a net combination of all three pathways kicking in, or di- I shouldn't say three, but all different pathways kicking in. Right. Right? And so you, you can use less herb to produce a, a higher benefit. And because you're using less herb to produce a higher, a better benefit, you also have less side effects. So when you, if you double or triple the dose, it's not a problem because you're already um, having less side effects because you're using a smaller dose of, the, of any actual herb, right? So the example I will use is, let's say I, I combine uh, cannabinoid, cannabis with um, acetylsalicylic acid, willow bark, white willow bark, yep. right? Mm-hmm. To give me less pain. That I can use less of both herbs to get a bigger relief of, from pain. Right. And that's some of the examples I'd like to use on that. I understand. So herbal remedies, I I read this somewhere, I think it's a a paper of yours that I read. Herbal remedies are more effective for chronic conditions than acute conditions, right? So like if I'm considering whether to take an herbal product, it's probably better for a a long-term pain and ache, right? Uh, And the reason they're they're more effective is because you have less side effects. Key here is less side effects. I I always say, if you have arthritis, for example, and we know as we get older, everybody gets arthritic pain, right? Now, things like the ibuprofens, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, they work great, but the problem is long-term, they're horrible for you. Right, because you get side effects affecting you, like ulcers, etc. Upset stomach, right? right and you exactly. can't take them for a long time because they're tough on your liver, tough on your kidneys. But the herbal products you can take for a long time because not you're never approaching the same kind of doses that you'll find in a pill. And because if they're combination products, you're even better off, right? And their toxicity is a lot less, so it's a lot lower. So you can take them for a lot longer periods of time. 
without the major serious side effects that you normally encounter with a pharmaceutical product. Now, I always say to people, there's a time and place for everything. Right. right? If I have a migraine headache and I need instant pain relief, I would start off with, with, with a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory to help with that, right? Yes. You know, there's a time and place for everything. So if it's something acute, like I don't get headaches often, so if I get a, a headache, I would probably take a um, ibuprofen. Right. Yes. But I just need to take it one tablet and I'm good to go. But if I have arthritic pain long term, I would probably take a, a herbal product just because if I'm getting pain relief, but I'm, I won't be getting the serious side effects that are associated with um, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. Well, that makes a lot of sense. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for coming in. Well, thank you for having me on board, Jamie. And we'll hear from you again next month. Okay. Take care. We've got to take a short break. We'll be right back on the tonic. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group seeks out the finest urban neighborhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set the standard for informed residents. For more information, please visit thebenvenuto.com. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Welcome back. Megan Horsley is a registered holistic nutritionist, blog writer, and recipe developer. She's passionate about helping her clients discover their best selves with a holistic approach to their well-being with delicious food, movement, and thoughts. She loves witnessing the transformations that unfold. She's also a knowledgeable and entertaining writer. She wrote a fantastic article in the January issue of Tonic about sneaking vegetables into your diet. Welcome back to the show. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Jamie. How's your New Year so far? Eh. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. It was, a, it, was a, it was a good break. Good, good. Glad to hear it. So sneaking vegetables in where they're not accepted, what trickery and devilry is this i know i know some people like their vegetables but some people you have to slip it in because they're just not they're going to poke around their plates and they're not going to finish the good stuff it's true you know we hear a lot about picky eater kids but you can also have a picky eater partner i was a picky eater as a young adult you know i eat way more vegetables than i ever used to like i had lettuce and i had cucumbers and i had fresh peppers and that was it and i would never eat cooked vegetables and now Actually, I think some of the best dishes I cook are vegetables. Yeah, yeah, I feel the same way. Growing up, I could not have tomatoes. Yep. I was really particular about my foods. And yeah, 
getting a vegetable into me was very, very difficult. So yes, definitely these days I eat a lot more and, and I actually look forward to creating new vegetable recipes. So sneaky ways, I bring that up because some people don't like to know what's in their food. Right. They don't like to see the vegetables on their plates. And so if you can hide it in your meals in a very... Surreptitious, tricky way. Yeah, yeah. You're getting you know, and you have one up. The other person doesn't know. It feels kind of good, right? (laughs) I suppose. I guess it depends on your relationship. I like I I like to think I'm open with my spouse and my kids, but if you know, I suppose others have different relationships. If I know, then we're going to have to bring you back and discuss this further on another day. (laughs) If I know that I'm adding extra fiber in there, I feel really good about that. All right. So. I mean, I suppose it goes without saying on a health and wellness show, but why is it important that we eat vegetables? So I wanted to bring this up for the January issue because I think particularly at this time of year, people are looking for a really quick diet fix that is going to solve all of their problems. Right. And sometimes going back to the basics of eating your vegetables is going to help you deal with a lot of issues. So let's say your hydration is low. Let's say you're having digestive issues. Um, You know, that can go back to not having enough water dense vegetables, not having enough fiber. And it's amazing how just including more vegetables into your diet can help you sleep better, can give you more energy. It's fascinating. And so I think before you choose a diet that is typically, I mean, these days they seem to be really low in vegetables. Right. Try adding more vegetables back in and see how you feel and see what kind of changes are happening in your body before you jump on a diet bandwagon. And for those of you who are contemplating actually, or have made New Year's resolutions, I wish you didn't, but if you did, don't go on a diet really think about what you can manage as a lifestyle because whatever goal it is you're trying to achieve, whether it's five pounds, 10, 15, healthier lifestyle, whatever it is, once you get there, you're going to have an aha moment. What do I do now? Well, Mm -hmm. what you do now is you continue on. So if you're continuing on, you better come up with a plan that you can actually do for the rest of your life. Yes, that's sustainable. Right. Because if it isn't sustainable, you're going to find yourself next December saying, you know what? This resolution's the same as last resolution. I've got to lose 15 pounds or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. And it's actually the ping-ponging between going up and down that is detrimental to your health as opposed to maintaining a gradual approach. And you didn't put all the weight on in six months, so you ain't going to take it off in six months. Sorry. (laughs) That's the end of my sermon. All right. So let's talk about some ways of getting vegetables into your diet. So how do we do this? Yeah. Yeah. So I've come up with six ways to do this. So number one would be to swap out grains. And I think grains are so common in so many cultures, right? right? So rice is like the number one thing, number one foods that that people will eat. Uh, Same with wheat, right? So talking about bread and 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 the the processed wheat and, you know, rice doesn't have a ton of nutritional value unless you're having brown rice with Mm -hmm. the bran in it. Right. But processed wheat is really, there's not much in it. It's just kind of filling you with carbs and empty calories. Yeah. I mean, you can say that there's some B vitamins depending on the quality that you get, right? But at the end of the day, not everyone can digest greens very well. Or if they're not properly prepared, this can wreak havoc on your digestive system. So one thing you can do is swap out the grains. Okay. And not completely, but just, you know, try to swap out 50% of what you've been eating with more vegetables. So one way you can do this is to use spiralized carrots, sweet potatoes and zucchini noodles in place of pasta. Right. So they aren't actually noodles. What you're doing is you're taking vegetables that have sort of, that are fibrous and you're shaping them into noodle shapes. (laughs) 
So, you know, it's okay. It's not my thing, no, but, but, thing. but, no, but, but I get it. I, I love pasta. I can't, you know, to me, it's sacrilege, but I get it. And, and, and a lot of people love it. Zucchini noodles are actually showing up on menus in restaurants. So. Absolutely. And these days in grocery stores, you can actually find pre-spiralized vegetables. Yeah. So you don't even have to put the work in. Let's say you don't have a spiralizer at home or you don't even know what the heck that is or what yeah. it looks like. Right. You can buy, buy spiralized vegetables in the grocery store already. Right. right. And that cuts your prep time down. And the other tip you had had to do with cauliflower, right? Yeah. So you can make cauliflower rice. Yep. Fried rice, but it's made out of cauliflower. Right. And texturally, it, it really does mimic rice. It actually yeah, is the closest. In my view, it's better than the spiralized vegetables, but yes. Tried, tested, and true by Jamie. Okay. Yep. It has a seal of approval. Yeah. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay. And actually, I have seen riced cauliflower in the stores as well. It, yes. Yes. That's another one that's coming prepared. So again, you're cutting down your prep time. You don't necessarily have to do this yourself. Buy right. it in the grocery store. Or you could just take a knife and cut it up. Or a food processor. Yeah, yeah, you could. It's all all doable, folks. (laughs) Going back to those sweet potato noodles, though, I wanted to let you know that even if you don't like to have, um, say you don't want to have like a a bolognese sauce with zucchini noodles, I found a great recipe recently by another holistic nutritionist called Rachel Melinda. You should Mm -hmm. look her up. She has fantastic recipes and she makes a pad thai with sweet potato noodles. I like pad thai. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Okay. Jamie, you have I to will, try it. I will try that. Okay. <laughs> on a boat or on a plane or with a goat. I will try it. I promise. All right. So another way of getting rid of starch and grains is getting rid of tortillas or wraps, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you can easily wrap up more vegetables right. <laughs> in lettuce or let's say um, you use one of my favorite raw wraps by Wrap It Up, which is completely the dehydrated fibers from making juice. So let's say you make juice, you have tons of this fiber left right. over. You can, you can, if you're, you know, feeling adventurous, make your own at home. Or you can buy it. Or mm. you can buy it. Right. Yes. So super fiber rich. Uh, you're still getting a lot of nutrients from those vegetables, right? They're being repurposed, right. which is fantastic. So ditch the tortillas and pull in collard greens, lettuce, or fiber rich wraps. Yeah, cabbage. Right. I mean, and there's lots of cuisines that uh, naturally have lettuce wraps. For example, you can get crystal fold. Uh, in lettuce wrap at a restaurant. So there's no reason why you couldn't do it at home if you're so inclined. Yeah. Okay, so let's go to sauces because you mentioned sauces when you were talking about the spiralized vegetables. Yes. So you can sneak some vegetables in there pretty easily, right? Yes, I think so. So going back to that bolognese sauce, right, which is ground meat and um, and tomato sauce, you can add vegetables into that sauce, which is probably one of the easiest things to do out of this whole list, right? right? I mean, most people, when they're starting a sauce, will use a mirepoix, which is, you know, celery, carrots, and onions. But Mm -hmm. you can also put in some other vegetables like kale or fennel. Uh, if only if only the listeners could see Jamie's face when he said kale. <laughs> no, I actually I made I made soup last night with pureed kale. I made a Fantastic. I made okay. a vegetable soup with kale. Fantastic. Yeah. And and it, it really does change the consistency too. Yeah. So if you think about kale even, right? Like it, it's really rough and, and if you don't prepare it properly, yeah. it may not digest well either, right? right. If, so cooking it will help with that um, and adding it to sauces. You know, that's one of the easiest right. ways to get more kale. And if you don't like kale, I will say this. There is one type of kale called uh, dinosaur kale or My black, favorite. Or black yes. Tuscan kale. And it actually is phenomenal to work with. Oh, so good. So good. So, yes, uh, we've talked about adding vegetables to those sauces. Well, but we're on let's... kale. We're on kale. So let's talk about kale chips. Okay, let's talk about kale chips. So one of the easiest things to do, remove the stem from your kale. Yep. 
chop it up into bite-sized pieces, massage it with a little bit of avocado oil. And salt. And salt, of course. Stick it in the oven at 350. For how long? About 10, 15 minutes, but you definitely want to keep an eye on it. So you want the edges to get a little crispy, a little brown, but not burnt. Okay? Right. As soon as you take it out, douse it in nutritional yeast, and you've got these cheesy kale chips. Honest to God, they're beautiful. <laughs> and the, the thing about kale chips is kale has a mass to it, but when you cook it down in the oven, when you when you make these chips, they're going to get very light. They're really light, yeah. Um, and it's a completely different experience. Absolutely. It is good. So in the article, I also talk about you know, using kale chips instead of crackers or right. chips. So get the hummus out, use your kale chips, or you can make your own fiber-rich crackers yourself. Again, using that juice pulp. So if you have a juicer at home... I do. Yeah, you can easily dehydrate. So smooth out the fiber in a pan. Right. If you have one of those silk pet um, right. mats, yep. put that on your cookie sheet, smooth it out. Again, put it in at a low temperature and watch it for couple hours. <laughs> so right. If you don't have a dehydrator, then you can chop that up into crackers. Right. Or you could you could even, you know, get a vegetable yikama is yes. an unsung hero. If you chop that thin, it has sort of a neutral flavor. For sure. You can use that with like a romesco sauce or a hummus or something like that. And it's very tasty. For sure. You can also make it super simple with carrots and celery. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, if you if you have kids, you know, peanut butter and raisins and celery is still a winner. Yep, absolutely. Uh, we only have time for one more. What do you want to talk about? You want to talk about smoothies or baking? Let's talk about smoothies. Okay. What do you do? How do you get vegetables in a smoothie? Yes. So, oh man, you can go back to the kale, you can go back to the spinach, but it will make it green. And yeah. again, if we're talking about picky eaters, may not work. Cauliflower is god in smoothies really (laughs) you do not taste it okay because it does have cruciferous vegetables have a sort of a strong it's almost like a sulfur sulfur. it's sulfur yep so i'm amazed to hear that cauliflower works i've never done that before it's fantastic i've learned something new for the new year yes it also takes on the color so let's say you've loaded it up with berries it's still going to be purple no one will know fantastic yes That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for coming in. Thanks so much, Jamie. I hope you enjoy the rest of your new year. You too. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. At Agmedica, we all feel fortunate to be living in this great country and investing our time, efforts, resources, and passion in something that's making and will continue to make an enormous impact on people's well-being, their health care options, as well as the trusted availability of a safe and consistent medical cannabis product right from the start. That's the patient promise we make to all of our customers. At Agmedica, we also understand the treatment journey and the thought that goes into trying something new, Who are we? We are continuous learners, always looking to surpass boundaries and deliver a positive experience for the great people we serve across all diverse communities. Acknowledging the past and embracing the future. Come join Agmedica as the journey continues. This is The Tonic 
on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. My next guest is local yogi Tracy Sagrati. She has post-secondary education in biology, molecular biology, nursing, acute care, public health education, and Swedish and Thai massage. She leads classes and teaches other yogis how to teach yin yoga. Welcome back to the show and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Jamie. I'm so happy to be here. In our previous episodes, we've discussed mindfulness in various different contexts. Yeah, absolutely. But today, I wanted to take from mindfulness the way that Tony Soprano took from his psychotherapy. <laughs> and, and by that, I mean, I want practical lessons. What are, I want practical advice that I can take away in my professional life. Yeah, okay, so okay. I'm going to cherry pick today, yeah, yeah, absolutely. which I know is completely antithetical. Yeah, that's okay. That's but, okay. But that's I understand okay. your personality. So Okay. <laughs> Because I want to learn how to be a better, more effective me if that were humanly possible. Yes, of course it is. So what is a skillful or an effective action in the context of mindfulness? Yeah, okay. So this concept originally comes from Buddhist thought. And there's this idea that your actions carry a weight. So all of your actions have a cost, essentially. And ideally, whatever action you take, the way that it pans out is going to be for the best outcome for all. And... Right action comes from uh, the Buddhist idea uh, around the fact that all of our actions have a cost or a consequence. So everything that you say, everything that you do. The interconnectivity of everything. Yeah, including what you're thinking. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah, and yeah. Okay. Yeah, right? There's right. a cost, right? Because what you, what you think perpetuates what you say and what you do, and it also perpetuates your body language, which has a huge impact on the way that people interpret what you're saying. Fair enough. Right? Okay. So let's get down to practical skills. So the one thing that I wanted to cover today, which I think is so fascinating, is the concept of right or effective speech. Okay. Jamie. Yes. So the first thing, so so right or effective speech, there's, there's sort of five foundations to it, and sometimes they're called the five gates of speech. Okay. okay? And this is, this is what you do. Every time you're about to open your mouth and say something, right. you look at what you're going to say through this lens or through this framework before you say it in order to decide if it would be an effective statement for you to make. So the first gate of speech is to ask yourself, is it really the right time for me to say what I'm about to say? Okay. Okay. And this is so powerful because timing is everything. True enough. Timing is everything. Look at the way that this pans out in marriage or relationships, right? How often do you push your own agenda with your spouse mm-hmm. because you want them to know that you're right or you want them to know all of your thinking around why they're wrong? Yes. Right? Okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so if we actually... I don't think you're giving me enough credit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you're I'm, looking at me very intently. <laughs> I, 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 know when, I know when it's time to speak my mind. And, and conversely, amazingly, I know when it's time to shut up. Oh, that's so great. Carry on. Good job, Jamie. How many years have you been married? Well over 20. Yeah, you've learned your lesson, right? Yeah, exactly. Right? Yes. So if we asked ourselves the question, okay, is this really the right time? Is this person going to be receptive right. to what I'm about to say? It could dramatically change the way that we negotiate our way 
through business deals, difficult conversations, even conversations with our kids, right? Yes. And evaluating whether it is the right time means really understanding the other person and understanding what their window of tolerance is. Right. Right? So you might have a huge window of tolerance. You might be able to tolerate a lot of chaos. You might be able to tolerate a lot of conflicting emotions and still remain calm. Whereas for the other person, they might not be able to tolerate that. Right. So if it's a situation that's outside their window of tolerance, then there's no way they're going to be receptive to what you're offering. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you're going to say. If somebody doesn't want to hear it or they're incapable of hearing it, yeah. it, it it's, it's deaf ears. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Okay. So the second thing to ask yourself is, is it factual? Right. What do you mean by that? So what I mean by that is often we come into saying things based on our opinion or our own bias, which is based on our preferences and our expectations. You know, if we if we do start to look into our opinions and our beliefs, we will often look for evidence to support what we already believe. True enough. Right? Yep. Yeah, this is factual. And so, you know, when we're about to say something to another person, again, whether you're working with someone or whether it's a close friend or you're in a relationship, you know, not only are you asking yourself, okay, is it the right time for me to say this, but is it actually true? You know, am I saying this based on a lens that I'm looking through that's colored by my history, my preferences, my insecurity? But, but you know, my I would culture, say, uh, yeah, yeah, but I would say conversely, mm-hmm. you know, th- that's predicated on a concept that there is an objective truth. Yeah. And there are certain things uh, that I believe are too tainted by subjectivity that, that there aren't necessarily objective, universal objective truths. There, Absolutely. There are certain facts and then we can't escape them. For sure. Yeah. So I, I completely agree with what you're saying in that context. And when you are dealing with a situation when it's so clouded by subjectivity, it's to actually acknowledge that. Right. Okay, in right. the communication. Right? And, I, and I think uh, too many people have confused opinion for fact, even in the way we digest our news uh, really? or the way that we get information from the Internet in particular, where it's, uh, the lines are so incredibly blurred that it goes well, beyond belief. Well, I just feel, I feel in that case, too, that there's a huge lack of discernment. Right. right. Yep. Like even though and this is kind of going you know, way off, way off path here right now, but. But even though we're, you know, if you look at the curriculum in schools, kids are taught so much more about critical thinking, even though that's really improving, the discernment around what's real and what's not real in the news is really poor. I think people don't care. I think it's gotten to the point now where they would rather hear the quote unquote truth that jibes with their opinion Uh than being confronted with the reality of a truth that they can't agree with or don't want to agree with. Uh-huh, because it's so uncomfortable for them. Which goes which goes yeah. to that first point that you were making. People yeah. may not be receptive. Yeah. The timing may be wrong because they're not ready to hear what you have to say. Well, yeah, because because they can't tolerate being uncomfortable. Correct. Right? And th- this is why mindfulness is actually so powerful because it teaches you to tolerate being uncomfortable. Let's move on okay. to the third precept. Yeah, okay. So the third one is, can I say it gently or will it be harsh? Okay? And this is a no-brainer. You can deliver a hard truth to somebody, something that they really need to hear that they're not going to want to hear that might be extremely painful for them to hear, but you can deliver it in a way that is gentle. And by gentle, I mean, you know, we're not condescending or patronizing or not giving them information like you hold the power and they have no power. 
Right, so it's just about creating a dynamic that's open in that way. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah. Okay, so the fourth one is to ask yourself, is this going to benefit all parties involved if I say this? You know, sometimes we're saying things because we just want to support our own sort of fragile ego, right? Like it's not for the benefit of anybody else in the room. We're just saying things so that we can hear ourselves talk, so that we can prove to ourselves and everybody else that we know X, Y, and Z, and then that helps to to shore up an insecure identity. But when you say, is it to the benefit of everybody in the room, surely mm-hmm. you don't mean that if it isn't to the benefit of everybody in the room that we can't say it. No, no. So I, I think where you're going with that question is, you know, sometimes everybody in the room needs to know about um, racism or something, right? And sure. some people, just for example, yeah. right? And some people are going to be thrown by that so they wouldn't consider it beneficial, right? right? Subjectively. Correct. Yeah. Well, you're never in a room with everybody on the same page, right? Exactly. Okay. So look at benefit in a different way. So if you're saying something that's uncomfortable to the whole room so that they don't find it pleasurable and they don't want to hear it, but at the same time, it's going to benefit them because it's going to elevate us all as a population, then it's necessary. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. And that leads us to the next point, which is to ask yourself, is it actually necessary for me to say what I'm about to say? Right. So am I saying this with kindness in my heart or am I actually saying this because I sort of want to poke the other person? Right. I'm a big poker. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes poking is effective. Which I know is antithetical to this, and we can talk about that. Well, sometimes it's necessary to poke someone to get them to move, right? right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's necessary to poke someone so that you can expand their window of tolerance because the only way to expand the window of tolerance is to safely get a little bit uncomfortable, right? Right. So the key with poking, right, if you're the poker, is to make sure that the other person feels safe enough to be poked by you. Correct. Right? Because then they can take the risk to grow with you. I agree. And, and I think you have to understand there's only so much poking that anybody can take. Absolutely. Uh, there's a boundary. Correct. Yeah. And if you're going to poke, you have to be able to take the poke back, I think, is another key. Oh, that's the key. Yeah, that's actually one thing that really drives me crazy. You know, when someone is a poker but can't take being poked back. Right. Okay. So there's a paradox, though, right? Like, so, you know, like as an advocate, mm-hmm. and then we only have time for this last little bit. Yeah. You know, you have to make a point, And then by the same token, in doing so... You know, you find yourself in a conundrum where it may not be the right time or, you know, it may not be received, etc. How do we overcome the paradox that lies with knowing that something has to be done and also knowing that it's not going to be done or in doing so there's a problem? Yeah. So this is what you're saying is basically just learning to hold the tension of being uncomfortable, Jamie. You know, um, mindfulness is about being able to hold the present moment, but it's also about having enough discernment to be able to come in the present moment, know your stuff, you know, have previous experience, know what your shit is, know what your self-doubts, your fear, your tendency towards illusion is, um, so that you can see clearly in spite of all that stuff, and then to act in each moment in the appropriate way, in a way that supports, you know, community, in a way that supports you living according to your values, right? And sometimes that means causing a rupture in a relationship and learning to hold the tension of being present to that, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Just learning to tolerate being present to that. And sometimes that means you have to wait a little bit, okay, before you say what you really, really yearn to say. And sometimes it means everything's going to go smoothly, well, hopefully it will. Yeah. Thank you for coming on the show Thank today. Thank you. My pleasure. That's all the time we have, but we'll have to have you back next month. You'll come back again, won't you? Yeah, I want to come back. Awesome. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. Mm-hmm.
Are you one of the many Canadians dealing with chronic pain, anxiety, IBS, and other such conditions? Are you interested in finding out more about your options with medical cannabis? Then join one of 22,000 patients nationwide who've let Harvest Medicine be their trusted cannabis healthcare partner and provider. It's never been easier to access Harvest Medicine's healthcare team, education, and resources. Simply download the HMed Connect app from the Android and Apple stores and book your appointment today. To find out more, visit hmed.ca or download the app. That's HMED Connect from your app store. Getting life insurance for type 2 diabetics can be a confusing and frustrating experience. Many type 2 diabetics buy life insurance products that are either way too expensive or take too long to buy. Most type 2 diabetics are surprised how affordable life insurance is. For example, a 55-year-old type 2 diabetic can get $250,000 of life insurance for only $86 a month. Remember, your information and quotes are completely confidential and there's no obligation to buy. So if you're a type 2 diabetic, take your best first step in buying life insurance by going to typetrue.ca. That's T-Y-P-E-T-R-U-E dot C-A. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of The Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest, Vito Marinucci, was born and raised in Toronto's East End and came up in the restaurant industry the old-fashioned way through nepotism. His cousin, restaurateur Gino Rana, hired him as a 15-year-old dishwasher and busser and later gave him a shot as a waiter. Vito's job was as much to fight the prevailing whitewashed version of Italian food in Toronto as it was to get people to try the good stuff. And he did. Now, as co-owner with his famous mom of the two locations of Seven Numbers on the Danforth and Eglinton West, Vito knows the food his kitchens prepare not only preserve that culinary heritage, but innovate within it. Welcome back, sir. How are you? Good morning. Good. How are you? Good. So we've touched upon this in earlier conversations. There's a real trend towards vegetables. And I don't mean the, and I don't mean the guests that come to your restaurant and just sit there <laughs> drooling. A few of those. Uh, yeah. I mean vegetables. People are just eating People more. People are eating them. way more vegetables. Our sides have expanded from four to seven and seven to nine and they keep going up. And the more you put on, the more you sell. So yeah, for sure. What do you think's driving it? Like wh- why are all of a sudden is everybody interested in eating cauliflower of all things? Well, of course, there's the health benefits of everything. Um it's probably I think it's part of a bigger conversation with food in the world. And the way people look at their diets. And then part of it is the way the industry is, where it's become an industry of extremes, where we either go all vegetable or we go heavy on the meat. You know, you're either keto or right. you're vegan. Right. You know, and here's like two polar opposites. And as a restaurant, you're trying to manage both. So your menu naturally will expand. Yeah. You know, I think there's a number of different reasons. You know, for people that are, are choosing to be vegetarian or vegan, obviously, you know, 
for a good number of them, and I interact with them through the magazine, it's it's an ethical choice, right? Like, right. The, the, and it may be dietary, but for others, it's you know they don't want to harm any animals, and you know they're strictly vegan. And then, it didn't start that way, though. No. I mean, initially, there was a conversation about how to stop obesity in children and or even there in people, and no one was listening. It's like this is what you should do, but nobody was really listening. But then when it became about ethical food or local cuisine or veg- vegetarians started eating organic more, right? Then there was a change, a shift where people said, oh, it's not just for my diet, it's also... And now, like you said, like there's an ethical reason for being a vegan. That's Now the world is actually... There, there's been a shift. It took that many reasons to make that shift. Right. And, uh, you know, there's a real continuum. I mean, there are people who, for example, are pescatarian. Sure. People who don't eat red meat and consider themselves vegetarians. Yes. And then there's vegetarians who are still having eggs and, and milk products. And then, you know, you go farther down the line and you get the vegans. And then, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but, you know, there's raw food as well. Yes. And that is... You know, for those who don't know, raw food is literally that. It doesn't get cooked, which means, you know, unless... There's a temperature limitation, I think, of 180. Correct. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I suppose you could have sushi, but they don't. They they consider the, the raw foodists are, are really talking about fruits and vegetables and uncooked sprouts and things like that. I think that's still a small movement It is but versus a, vegan, but... But there's a venerable restaurant literally yep, called Live, is, yeah. which, is, which is on DuPont. Fantastic. It's a great restaurant. Yeah. But uh, nothing gets cooked, and it's very labor-intensive. Yeah, a small piece of whatever it is you're having is very expensive because it took a, a lot of effort to make that dish. And it's challenged, obviously, in Toronto to eat live. You know, it's one thing to do it in California where, yeah, sure. where produce is available all year round. I remember I interviewed a live chef who owned a restaurant in California who was talking about, you know— how she prepared foods and things like that. And I, and I put it to her, okay, so, you know, you're here in Toronto and it's freezing mm. cold and what are we supposed to eat if we're eating live food? And, you know, there's A lot was of root vegetables. Radio silence. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, okay, so that's vegetarian. And, and you made the comment, you think it's it's trending towards extremism. Is, is, is it almost it is. like... I mean, nobody, I mean, I think people eat in the middle somewhere of right. the spectrum, but we only talk about, and the media talks about it. Obviously, it's social media friendly to say... To talk about the extremes, but even as an industry now, it has become like what I call top shelf vocabulary, you know, where it's... What do you mean? Well, it's like, you know, we have a burger, it's three kinds of meat with two raw eggs on top and this type of bacon, and they've really gone... And how does it look on Instagram, you know? Yeah, it's beautiful. (laughs) It has the egg, which, you know, the yolk is sexually oozing. I call it food porn, right? It is food porn. It's exactly what it is. If you're on Instagram, I mean, a lot of the photographers are posting these gorgeous photos. Right. Uh, And it's usually food of extremes. And no one talks about the middle uh, anymore, or at least it's not as popular. Okay, so there are restaurants, uh, and, and let's go over a few of them. I know you're, I know you're too busy to get out, <laughs> but I know you know of some of these. And and you know, Grant Van Gameren, famously uh, of Bar Isabel and Bar Raval, has put forward amongst his group a couple of uh, vegetable forward restaurants. One of them is Quetzal, which is Q U E T Z L, which is Mexican cuisine, but very vegetable forward. Uh, and it's getting great reviews. It's getting great. I have I've not been yet, but it's getting great reviews. The best thing about his restaurants is he, he, they're so strong in the front of the house. Yes. Which I, I know it's important. His service is silky. Right. And then your front of the house at yep. your restaurant. Yep. And yep. I know it's important to you. And I actually think it makes a huge difference when you go to a restaurant. Food's food's delicious. You expect a professional kitchen to put out professional food. But if you have wait staff that don't know the menu or who aren't attentive or who aren't noticing that the cutlery is dirty or yep. aren't filling the water glass. It's it really, really just a matter of 
caring. Right. But it, he, but, some, he somehow, well, he, he must put forth a lot of effort in training and making sure everybody cares and they're all part of this team. And you could see it when you go into his restaurants as a, an actual team working. Right. Another one of his restaurants, which I, I don't know if he means to make as a chain, is Rosalinda, which is downtown. And uh, it's also, it seems to be Mexican-based, but it's also, uh, that's a straight vegetarian restaurant. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Oh, completely I, vegetarian. I actually didn't know that, no. Yeah. Planta is supplanting. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> do you hear, you heard Nota Bene. Nota Bene is converting to Planta. Yeah. I mean, there's which, a big movement in the industry as well to open more or offer more and open more vegetarian restaurants. Now I knew the original planta was doing well, but oh, to, it's hear, excellent. to hear that Nota Bene, which is venerable, uh, high end and had a huge lunch following. My, my wife works downtown at the Law Society yeah. and a lot of people take their business lunches to Nota Bene. The fact that it is now going to become a vegetarian restaurant in that same spot to me is fascinating. It is, but I mean, I think we talk we talk about a lot about how that segment of the restaurant industry is slowly dying off. I don't want to say dying off, but there's less of them. The high end, uh, with you know multiple servers and super high end food, right. and, and Nota Bene really nailed it on that front. But I think, yeah, I mean, they probably saw the volumes of Planta. Now he's had he has Planta Burger as well, right? And I don't think it's going to change. The same people from the Law Society are going to go lunch at Plant and feel better about themselves for eating vegan or vegetarian food. Now, you know, I'm, I'm going to come clean here. You know, I never used to eat vegetarian, and I find that when we go out now, really, I don't know if it's a, a chicken or the egg thing, there's more vegetables on the menu, so I'm ordering them? or I'm yeah, order, or, or they're putting them on the menu because people are ordering I suppose it doesn't matter. But when we go out now, I find that I'm just eating a lot more vegetables. But what I don't like is when vegetables are masquerading as meat. For whatever reason, I, I understand why vegans like it, but I can't wrap my head around it. I, I've never dug the the vegetables pretending to be other food. No, I mean, often they're, they're not necessarily healthier. No, they aren't. They're fried, cooked in butter, whatever the whatever the, the process is, they're often not healthier. But yeah, we do that now. We went out for dinner and we ordered one steak sliced. Right. And we order you know, seven different sides. We never did that 10 years ago. Everybody got a steak. Right. And potatoes. Right. And, and maybe you know, some boiled carrots. And you know, and and you know, you think, oh, the you know, you're, you're ordering more sides, so it's gonna be less expensive because of no. more vegetable. But that's not the case anymore, right? Because restaurants, you know, you, you order cauliflower. Remember, I got into an argument with a restaurant because they had cauliflower on their menu for twenty two dollars, right? It was a full head of cauliflower. You might know the restaurant. I think you probably do. <laughs> and I said, Okay, that's out of whack. That just seems well, sir, you know, the cost of cauliflower has gone through the roof and it costs us eight dollars to get a head of cauliflower. There was a period of time where that was true. Yeah, except that same week I went to my store and I'm going to give a shout out to yeah, New yeah. York and I got a $4 head of cauliflower. There are great margins on sides of vegetables. There's okay. no question. I call it, it's like pasta used to be the our version of the rice at a Chinese food restaurant. Where they're like, <laughs> right. lobster is 12 bucks, but the rice is also 10 bucks. Right. And that's kind of how they balanced it. And that was our pasta, but pasta's come up in price now. And vegetables are part of the, that part of the menu now. We, we have cauliflower on the menu and it's $8 for a side. Yeah, I was going to say, I hope I didn't yeah, put yeah, you on no, the spot no, there. It isn't $22. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not $22, but it's a quarter head of cauliflower and it's eight bucks. It's, it's a great food margin. Uh, and everyone's ordering multiple sides. So fantastic. So I guess you, I, my next question was going to be, you know, you're now required to sort of make a, amend your menu, right? To, to reflect these The menu changes. has to be adaptable where it can meet all of the diets, pescatarian, vegetarian, keto, pick any of them. You got to be able to sort of, it's like our menu has expanded and so we can meet all of them. So we don't have to do anything special for anyone. There's something on the menu for everyone. 
So even the paleo crazies, of which yeah. one of one of whom is a close personal friend of ours, yeah, yeah. Yeah, can, he, can, can go find something to eat at the restaurant. You can right? find a lamb shank or whatever. You know, you can find something to eat. Isn't he eating raw meat now? I'm not sure. No, he better not be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's great. I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to sort of discuss these food trends. Um, we're going to have you back on the show next month, right? One more time? Yeah, one more time. All we'll right. see how it goes. And thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can download this episode as a podcast on zoomaradio.ca and thetonic.ca. For articles written by Megan Horsley, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighbourhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or coming on the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss the Toronto real estate market, medical cannabis, healthy cooking hacks, and traveling to Morocco. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.